In early spring 2020, I was patient to hear from the Lord. What was he doing in our land? By May, I was dismayed at the church's response, and so I published a video, Weep With Me. In it, I suggested the messages from UK church leadership were tickling the ears of church members. There were viral videos asking God to bless our nation, which, while honouring, for me, missed what God is doing. It came across like a servant who, under reprimand, is asking for a pay rise. Some were saying God's purpose is to unify the people of the nation. The bulk of corporate messages were, were, were to the hurting individuals. None seemed to take a long, hard look in the mirror. For me, these messages came from the framework of how they perceived the church prior to 2020. But what if, what if we're not this beautiful bride that we think we are? So I counted these various messages exhorting the church to change our corporate posture and get on our knees in repentance and recognition of this judgment by God. By summer 2020, with the introduction of face masks out of viral season, which made no sense, it triggered me to swiftly discern something very sinister was taking place globally. And so I moved from the position of understanding God's purposes as judgment that is primarily viral to judgment that is primarily tyrannical government, but judgment nonetheless. I then released a podcast early November called Fear Not, in which I addressed the all-cause mortality stats at the World Economic Forum, at Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset, the Build Back Better slogans. We cautioned about the confusion and paranoia um, and downright evil side around conspiracy theories, particularly when they point the finger at the Jewish people, but also the reality that men conspire. So not making the error of of following and getting caught up in worldly theories and attaching our eschatology to that, um, but also not being ignorant of observable corruption and conspiracy. We discussed what is and isn't church persecution and oppression of people, climate change and how COVID is related, how the mask is a symbol of our time and a deliberate muzzling of the church who are sleepy and have failed the testing of our Lord, among other things. My concerns in that podcast have or are coming true rapidly, but the main theme was to highlight that fear, fear is a powerful thing. Fear can make you lose sleep. It can cause health problems. It can strain relationships. It can make you do and say things that perhaps you wouldn't in rational light. And therefore, ultimately, we are to fear God and not man. Again, today, we are discussing dark times, but throughout, hope, not fear, should char characterize the themes. With that journey mapped out, having been 13 months since I touched on this and with the acceleration of events, I wanted to briefly call a spade a spade. Sometimes you just need to hear someone else say the things that you were thinking. So firstly, we're going to call out what is going on, the worldly attack. Then we're going to look at the church's response, the good, the bad, and what steps that we can take. We've worldly attacks and 
a sleepy church. Sometimes the Christian walk can feel like a lonely road. As my friend Nick says, someone else's testimony of events is another person's sanity. So we'll lay the bad news and then place the good news on top for the purposes of edification of the church. The world's attack. Let's begin with deception. As a nation, we were already under great deception. Look at the UK's most powerful leaders, a Muslim mayor of London, a Muslim education secretary, a Muslim health secretary, a Hindu chancellor, a narcissistic PM who quotes the Bible. When a nation turns its back on Yahweh, Elohim, it doesn't believe nothing, as G.K. Chesterton puts, it believes anything. The COVID saga began with faked videos of people falling over in the street. The perpetual falsification of data attests to deceptive foundations. Falsifying COVID deaths, falsifying vax deaths and injuries, falsifying hospital admissions, falsifying mask efficacy, falsifying vax efficacy, the blatant lying on TV and, and politicians doesn't seem to matter anymore. What is the nickname of the devil again? The deceiver of the whole world. This isn't conspiracy theory, but observable corruption. When people give over to fear, they believe lies. Those in power know this, and Laura Dobsworth does a good job documenting how the UK government weaponized fear in her book, State of Fear. Sage, Fauci, they all said that masks, they don't work, and then they make them mandatory. The lies are too many to keep up with. The media brainwash with phrases like doing your bit for the collective good, for the greater good. It's my duty to take the vaccine. I wear my mask to love my neighbour. Take the vaccine to love your neighbour. These are half-truths based on deceptive Marxist foundations to manipulate people to do what they say. Take a look at this bar chart. If there is a deadly pandemic, it should be obvious which year the pandemic began. Which year is it? Have a guess. It's E. For England and Wales, 2020 ranks as 19th for deaths out of the previous 30 years. There are tens of thousands of scientists and doctors who contradict the narrative. Listen to Professor Norman Fenton, a mathematician and professor of risk information management at Queen Mary University, London. So when it comes to the vaccine, ultimately, the only truly objective way to evaluate its overall risk benefit is to compare the all-cause mortality for the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. So in crude terms, if the virus is as dangerous as claimed and the vaccine is as effective as claimed, then we should by now have data confirming that the vaccine is saving a lot more lives than it's killing. So basically, the Office of National Statistics have been publishing data on the England mortality of vaccinated against unvaccinated. And we've done this detailed analysis of their most recent report. So that's what my colleague Martin Neal was tweeting about. Now, interestingly, superficially, when you look at the data there, it actually suggests some support for vaccine effectiveness, at least in the older age groups. There's some doubt about the younger age group because it's too wide and it was too confounded by age. But we found so many inconsistencies 
and anomalies in the data, that when you take account of the most obvious explanations for these, there really is no reliable evidence that the vaccines reduce all-cause mortality. In fact, if you take account of the fact that newly vaccinated people who die are likely being misclassified as unvaccinated, because that's the most likely explanation for the strange things in the data, then you get to the conclusion that the vaccines don't seem to be reducing all-cause mortality, but rather produce a genuine spike in all-cause mortality shortly after vaccination. Evidence is indicating a spike in all-cause mortality after vaccination. Yeah, it occurs shortly after the, the initial big rollout of the vaccination programme in each of the different age groups. It's crucial to separate it into the different age groups. Whatever the explanations for the observed data, it's clearly both unreliable and misleading. I mean, we did, look, we did consider socio-demographic and behavioural differences between vaccinated and unvaccinated, which might explain these data anomalies, but there was no evidence for that. By Ockham's razor, we believe that the most likely explanations are the systematic miscategorization. And if that miscategorization were to be corrected, if the miscategorization were to be corrected, if somebody dying within 14 days of the first jab or 14 days of the second jab were to be defined and categorized as dying after a vaccination or after a jab as opposed to dying unvaccinated, what would be then the correct conclusion for the public and media to draw about the vaccines? But there's no evidence for their efficacy when it's measured by what we think is the only sensible way to measure it or cause mortality. This professor, along with his colleagues, some of whom do not want to be named for obvious reasons, is saying not only do the vaccines not work, they are causing deaths. Panic over faked videos of people falling over in the street in China, but turning a blind eye to athletes dropping to the ground with chest pain on national TV. Even Japan now places a myocarditis warning on the vaccines delusion there is a spiritual darkness over the westernized nations delusion over our nation including most of the church the deception is so obvious the anger is so illogical you need to get a vaccine because ours don't work <laughs> strong delusion to foreshadow the strong delusion to come the apostle paul said the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is not that, but paving the way for great signs, the source from which will deceive even the elect. Wake with me before it's too late. Corruption. Every nation that has existed houses corrupt rulers. This shouldn't surprise us. The corruption within the financial system has weighed us down for decades. You only have to glance at the City of London Corporation and the Bank of England. Then came the decentralization of cryptocurrency, which has become a threat to the centralized banking system. Our debt 
has become unserviceable. A resetting of global finance with regulation and control of crypto exists on the horizon, along with controlling how you spend your money, all tied to digital ID. I suspect the pseudo-pandemic will end once global finance and ID is reset. The political system is corrupt. Our two-party system is essentially now a one-party system with theatrics of difference. Mark Dolan tweeted, Labour and the Tories are in coalition and it's the coalition from hell. The well-known political cartoonist Bob Moran illustrated this perfectly. In it you have King Herod whose herald announces that King Herod has ordered that every baby boy must be executed just to be safe. The leader of the opposition has said that these measures do not go far enough. There is no one to hold government to account. The media dare not. In my early 20s, I would listen to quality Bible teachers who would be visibly angry about BBC News, and I didn't quite get it. Later, I would get it. <laughs> we should be angry about the media corruption who have been handed hundreds of millions to put out COVID propaganda on top of their usual Israel-hating, family-attacking devices. Take a peek at the Trusted News Initiative, a BBC-led organisation censoring public health experts who oppose the official narrative on COVID-19. The medical corruption. What happened to first do no harm? What happened to the Nuremberg Code? There is now talk of disbanding it. What happened to medicine that can never be coerced? What happened to never testing unless you have symptoms? What happened to the no lockdown protocols? What happened to natural immunity? Pushing experimental vaccines on children who are not affected by the virus. Will they mandate them for children? We would expect nothing less from a parliament that has approved the sacrifice of 210,000 babes in the womb in England and Wales in 2020. It is as if corruption was kept at bay by our merciful God and now it's as if he's just released the brakes and there's an acceleration of wickedness. I like to give the benefit of doubt. Is this incompetence? One word, ivermectin. The modelling of SAGE has been spectacularly wrong. At every stage, a school kid could graph out predicted cases and deaths more accurately. Yet they still wheel out the likes of Neil Ferguson to scare the nation. The legal system, the police, the education system have danced to the same tune. Let's speak with biblical language. We have financial whores, political whores, media whores, medical and scientific whores. Are any of us in bed with them? God is removing our reliance on institutions to make clear only he can save. So what is the goal? What is the purpose then, if not health? And this is where there is part conjecture, but also great powers have told us their plans. Even Prince Charles has promoted the Great Reset, whereby they say we will own nothing and apparently be happy. 
Klaus Schwab and the WEF have made it clear that for them, a globalized world is best managed by a coalition of multinational corporations. Rather than traditional government, the time had come for a new stakeholder paradigm of international governance. Simply put, big business running the nations with Schwab, Gates and alike forming the heavenly council. The motivation throughout history remains the same. Nothing is new under the sun. Control, power, money, social credit system. They are open about depopulation. I suspect the populism of Brexit and Trump pressed them to accelerate their plans. We've witnessed the biggest the biggest transfer of wealth in history. Close the small businesses. Big business boons. If everyone works for their big corpse, not only do their profits increase, but they also have the complete control over everyone. It shocks us today because they wear white collars and have PR teams. So who is behind it? Well, the prince of the power of the air is ultimately behind it. Satan, the devil. We know the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What is happening isn't conspiracy theory. It's the reality of westernized nations working together to reset world order. Satan enticing a world order that provides the context for what could be his 10-nation Middle Eastern confederacy against Israel. Ultimately, his one world government and Middle Eastern plans will fail, but there will be chaos in the process. Our nation has at times been the front runner and influencer of justice, the voice of reason, the beacon of civil society, having been established somewhat on Judeo-Christian foundations. There is a battle over our nation right now, and most are unawares. The devil knows the world is watching what the head of the old empire will do. Strategy. Before we come on to the church's response, how are they achieving this? What is the strategy? And most of you will know this stuff, but it's good to, to put it all together and verbalize the picture on the wall. A pseudo crisis. History is there to learn from, but history can also be used as a manual. The classic false flag. Yes, there is a virus that came out of the Wuhan lab. You were, you were a conspiracy theorist if you believed that a year ago, but now, that's fact. And I suspect it was purposely released as a bioweapon on the world. And yet, I don't believe any restrictions were ever necessary, and very, very few people have died from it. Professor John Oxford, the UK's leading expert on flu, on bird flu, on the 1918 Spanish flu, and HIV, said this in March 2020, I do not feel this current COVID will exceed this number, 8,000. We are suffering, he says, we are suffering from a media epidemic. And I suspect that his prediction of 8,000 deaths is spot on. These figures of hundreds of thousands, it's impossible when you consider the all-cause mortality and excess deaths. I mean, are we really to believe the flu just vanished? Climate change is another example of a pseudo-crisis tool to enforce carbon tax and social credit schemes. Christians 
we should be able to spot this straight away. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease, it says in Genesis 8. The climate is not the issue. Sin is. Little by little. The strategy is to use a pseudo-crisis and then little by little take your freedoms under the pretense of health and safety. Jordan Peterson explains to Joe Rogan, I just don't understand how it gets to the point well, where... Well, things get to terrible places one tiny step at a time. You know, if I, encroach, I, if I encroach on you, and I'm sophisticated about it, I'm going to encroach two millimeters. I'm going to encroach right to the point where you start, start to protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. Then you're going to calm down. Then I'm going to encroach again right to the point where you protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. And I'm just going to do that forever. And before you know it, you're going to be back three miles from where you started, and you'll have done it one step at a time. And then you'll go, oh, how'd I get here? And the answer was, well, I pushed you a little farther than you should have gone, and you agreed. And so then I pushed you a little farther than you should have gone again, and you agreed. And if anybody's interested in this sort of process, and this is a horrifying book, if you want to read about how this process works, you can read a book called Ordinary Men by Robert Browning. When Peter Hitchens warned in spring 2020 that if you give up a little freedom, they will never give it back, I thought that he was going over the top. Turns out he was right. There is a constant moving of the goalposts. Remember, remember three weeks to flatten the curve. Remember, vax the vulnerable and then we return to normal. Remember, vax the over 70s and then we return to normal. Remember, the vax is just for adults. Remember, 15 million jabs to freedom. Remember, just two jabs. Remember, COVID passports. They're just a conspiracy theory. We are now 120 million jabs in and counting and are being threatened daily by our government if we are not all injected with a third dose. As Zuby tweeted, you can't comply your way out of tyranny. If everyone stopped complying, it would be over immediately. This is the most subtly wicked parliament we have ever witnessed. This is an abusive parliament. And I say parliament rather than government because the vast majority of MPs from all sides have been behind this abuse. The strategy of track and trace. It's for your safety. Just download the NHS app. I understand South Wales is to start using facial recognition technology to scan wanted suspects, cross-referencing faces with a database of around 600,000 people. Now, the slippery slope fallacy is legit, but we're fools not to see the trajectory. The strategy of normalisation, of masks, of social separation, of lockdowns, of regular injections. Normalisation of heart attacks and blood clots. I've seen adverts on buses. Kids have strokes too. What? This is also the strategy of dehumanisation. Facial expressions and interaction is a creation reality they wish to erase for the servant population. Little by little, normalisation of evil. Everyone else is doing it. They were also required to make peace, roughly speaking, and so they started, up by, they started out by rounding up all the 
Jewish men between 18 and 65 and gathering them in, in stadiums and then shipping them off on the trains. But that isn't where they ended. They ended in, in a very, very dark place. I mean, these guys were going out in the field with naked pregnant women and shooting them in the back of the head by the end of their training. And what's really interesting about that is that, uh, is that their commander told them that they could go home at any time. So this is, this is not one of those examples of people following orders. And the reason they didn't, roughly speaking, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons they didn't is because they didn't think it was comradely, so to speak, to leave their, the guys they were working with to do all the dirty work and run off. You know, and that's really, that's really an interesting fact, you know, because you'd, in, in different circumstances, you wouldn't think about that as reprehensible, right? You'd think, well, that's part of teamwork and under rough circumstances, and that's at least in part how they viewed it. And they were also made physically ill multiple times, physically and psychologically ill by the things that they had to do, but they kept doing them anyways. So it's one step at a time. The strategy of changing definitions. These aren't vaccines by any traditional definition. Dr. Peter Doshi, associate editor of the British Medical Journal, demonstrated that dictionaries are even changing the definition of the word vaccine and anti-vaxxer. For identification purposes, I'm on the faculty at the University of Maryland and editor at the BMJ. I have no relevant conflicts of interest and my comments today are my own. I'm saddened that we are supersaturated as a society right now in the attitude of everybody knows that has shut down intellectual curiosity and led to self-censorship. But if hospitalizations and deaths were almost exclusively occurring in the unvaccinated, why would booster shots be necessary? Or why would the statistics be so different in the UK? where most COVID hospitalizations and deaths are among the fully vaccinated, as Senator Johnson said. Those who claimed the trials showed the vaccines were highly effective in saving lives were wrong. The first part of the definition, I expected. The second part stunned me. And I would wager that a large minority, perhaps a, major, a majority of the world's population meets the definition here of an anti-vaxxer. I am one of the academics that argues that these mRNA products, which everybody calls vaccines, are qualitatively different than standard vaccines. And so I found it fascinating to learn that Merriam-Webster changed its definition of vaccine early this year. mRNA products did not meet the definition of vaccine that has been in place for 15 years at Merriam-Webster, but the definition was expanded such that mRNA products are now vaccines. I highlight this to ask a question. How would you feel about mandating COVID vaccines if we didn't call them vaccines? What if these injections were called drugs instead? So here's the scenario. We have this drug, and we have evidence that it doesn't prevent infection, nor does it stop viral transmission. But the drug is understood to reduce your risk of becoming very sick and dying of COVID. Would you take a dose of this drug every six months or so for possibly the rest of your life? if that's what it took for the drug to stay effective? Would you not just take this drug yourself, but support regulations mandating that everybody else around you take this drug? Or would you say, hold on a sec. Maybe you'd say that if that's all the drug does, why not use a normal medicine instead? The kind we take when we're sick and want to get better. And why would you mandate it? 
medicine, human rights groups, law, thrown out. I now understand there is a plan to make it so that governments can annually overrule judges. The strategy of censorship, deplatforming experts who question the narrative, the so-called fact-checkers who are nothing more than opinion pieces of big tech, making protests illegal, unless it's BLM or climate change, of course. The media isn't televising any of the huge protests and rioting around the world. The strategy of labelling of people, the tone, the belittling, the ostracising of the unvaccinated, conspiracy theorists, refuseniks, anti-vaxxers. Overnight, we've developed a culture of suspicion and snitches and sleuths. In the years ahead, watch how the unvaccinated slides into the people of the book. Knowing his time is short, Satan is beating around the bush, but eventually he gets to the bush. He casts his net wide. Too obvious is it to go after the Judeo-Christian people on the offset. The strategy of segregation. Once they are labelled, you can segregate. Australia now has camps. Even with multiple negative tests, you are held against your will. Austria and Germany are locking down the unvaccinated. In the UK, you can't leave the country. We are prisoners in our own country. You can't see loved ones dying in hospital. You can't visit the elderly. You can't have a proper funeral. The parallels with Nazi Germany are there. Listen to this Auschwitz survivor, this 94-year-old Marian Turksky. One day, in those early 1930s, you can read an inscription on the benches. Jews must not sit on these benches. You could say, it's unpleasant, it's not fair, it's not right. But after all, there are so many benches around. You can sit somewhere else. Of course you can. There was a swimming pool and over its door, an inscription read, Jews are forbidden to enter. You could say, well, pleasant this is not, but there are so many places in Berlin where you can take a bath or swim, so many lakes, canals, it's nearly like Venice. At the same time, you can read somewhere else, Jews must not belong to German singing associations. So what? All right, they want to sing, they want to make music. Let them just meet somewhere else, they will do their singing. All right. What comes up later is an order, really, more of an order than of an inscription. Non-Aryan children must not play with Aryan children, with the German children. All right, they'll play on their own. And then you read, we only sell bread and food to Jews after 5 p.m. Right, less choice, this makes your life harder. But after all, after 5 p.m. you can still do your shopping. And that's how it is done, step by step, slowly. And they become acquainted with that thought familiar with the idea that they are different people, that they are alien people, that they are the people that carry germs, that cause pandemics. And this now is a horror. What came later was something that developed immediately. Jews could not get jobs, they could not emigrate. And then, quickly, Jews would be sent to ghettos, to Kaunas, to Riga, to my ghetto. Auschwitz did not fall suddenly from the skies. It was pittering, pattering in all those tiny steps. It was approaching until 
what happened here behind me did happen. Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. When it comes down to it, most people are authoritarians. I used to wonder how Nazi Germany could arise and the church largely asleep to events. And now we see. And Stanley Milgram once again being proved correct. The, the Yale professor demonstrated through experiments that people will, will be obedient to authority. His book is titled Obedience to Authority. They will be obedient to the point that they will kill, even knowing that it is wrong. The strategy of financial punishment, no jab, no job. Care home staff sacked, the NHS staff sacked by April. They close your business if you don't comply with the Vax Pass. A church that met in a car park to provide food for the homeless was fined 16,000. Austria have now mandated the Vax for all citizens and are giving out huge fines to those who do not get vaccinated. They are trying to bankrupt or imprison anyone who does not comply. In the UK, there are suggestions of the unvaccinated paying for their own healthcare. No NHS access. The obese and smokers can, but not those who are healthy and do not want an experimental vax. The strategy of humiliation and stoking anger against the unvaccinated. In Germany, there is the ritual humiliation of children who are asked to go to the front of class and state their vaccination status daily. Those who are vaccinated are applauded. Disgusting. Look at this Metro article. Hardcore anti-vaxxers may need de-radicalizing like terrorists. Can you see where this is heading? Then came Andrew Neil's Daily Mail article. He said, it's time to punish Britain's 5 million vaccine refuseniks. Then there's the unelected peer, Lady Karen Brady. We can't force people to have jabs, but we can force vaccine refuseniks to live a far more difficult, inconvenient and restricted life. One that will also be more expensive because of mandatory testing. These are the normally level-headed business leaders and broadcasters. These are sick, sick people. It's a demonic anger that is widespread. The strategy to break you, which is why Sage have behavioral psychologists, wear people out, make them give up pushing back. Within this strategy to break you is a strategy of mocking the people. The implementation of the first vax mandate in England for care home workers was on Remembrance Day. Announcing the implementation of the vax mandate for NHS staff that will come into play on April Fool's Day. This is mocking. The blatant breaking of the rules by politicians, it is to mock and therefore demoralise. Only COVID lives matter. There is zero recognition of the harms that they are causing, the psychological harm, the huge patient waiting lists. There are 50,000 missing cancer patients with 24,000 extra significantly delayed. No one is allowed to talk about the vaccine injuries and deaths. What does the science tell us about side effects? That there are more reported side effects 
adverse re re reactions to these COVID vaccines than all the other vaccines combined in several decades. They are neither necessary, effective or developed ethically. Kids are being sacrificed for political gain. This is an abusive government. I believe their actions have caused tens of thousands of deaths, terrorizing the nation. Divide and rule. This is a classic strategy. Divide and rule. Then came the 8th of December announcements. The month before, we had the CEO, I think it was, of the NHS saying that hospitalizations were 14 times higher than the previous year, when in reality, they were below last year's figure. Is she incompetent or lying? In the days leading up to the 8th of this month, this figure of 90% of those with COVID in hospital were unvaccinated, was puked out of TV sets. It's complete nonsense. And when it's corrected, it's too late. This Omicron variant, no one has died. Well, apparently today they're saying that, that one person with Omicron, not of. I mean, this is just so obvious now, the day before the vote. It turns out there were parties at 10 Downing Street and the flats of the politicians. And Comrade Johnson announces COVID passports and medical apartheid. Not only that, he says that the nation will need to have a conversation about mandatory vaccinations for all citizens. England has fallen. Where does this lead? If they can make injections mandatory, they can drug you at any time, whenever they like. Sounds precisely what the devil would want to do to the bride. They are signalling the ruin of anyone that does not comply. NHS waiting lists in England alone have over 6 million patients, the longest since records began. Are they purposely trying to destroy this nation to rebuild it in their own image? It appears so. The consequences of vax mandates could be devastating and permanently damage our nation. The fabric of our nation would forever change. I'm very thankful for the handful of MPs who are openly speaking against these plans and we should pray for them. Although I'm not aware of any MPs suggesting these vaccines could be harmful or are prepared to quit the party. I'm thankful for the few outside of the church who can see what we do, such as Mike Yardley, the writer, broadcaster, a military historian and psychologist who witnessed firsthand Soviet oppression. He says, I've never heard or seen a propaganda effort like it in my lifetime. Even looking at history, what is happening, what is being done to us is extraordinary. Our liberties are being trespassed upon routinely. It's not all right. It's all wrong. Since that tweet, he has been even more vocal. The Lord is blinding some and unblinding others. The prominent leaders fighting for the health of our nation right now are men whom I'd previously never heard of or taken note of. And I suspect the future leadership of the church will emerge in a similar fashion. Presently, relatively unknown, raw, fearless of man, years of hidden preparation. So what of the church's response? In terms of the general response, I am once again deeply saddened. As Adam was silent 
as his wife debated with the serpent, silent when she ate the fruit and then silently ate himself. So is the UK church at times such as this. They muzzled your face to prevent you from singing praises. You kept silent. They closed your churches and without question, you locked the doors. They baffled you with pseudoscience and without examination, you fell for it. But you know what? God muzzled your face, shut your doors, blinded you because that's what you desired. You didn't desire it. You didn't have to. You chose to. Not only have we kept silent, we've promoted evil schemes and perpetuated the lies. Churches advertising vaccines. Churches used as vax clinics. I've known friends invited to Christian events with the condition of prior tests. What happened to staying at home if you're ill and coming if you're not? We've lost our minds. Durham Cathedral demands vaccine passports from worshippers. The church says it has a clear policy of encouraging people to be vaccinated. We must turn from this wickedness. Why the connection with Nazi Germany? The scriptures speak of a time of trouble that exceeds World War II. Jeremiah spoke of Jacob's trouble. That day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. Jesus warned of this time saying, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. Matthew 24, 21. This prophecy centers about Jerusalem and specifically regards the Jewish people. The extent of the ripple effect around the world is to be seen. But considering the global enforcement of these vaccines, with the vax passes first introduced in Israel, it should tell us something about the possible reach of persecution to the Jew first, followed by those who have faith in their Messiah. The label Nazi is, is crassly overused, particularly by the political left. But we are now witnessing an obedience to authority and a spirit of willingness to believe and follow lies that knows no limits. Nations can very quickly plunge from moderate to extreme under certain perceived pressures. Listen to this son of a Nazi from four years ago. Especially with Merkel and the refugees, everything changed because the silent majority as if it were Jews again. Ah, this swamp is coming. You really feel that? You swamp feel so insecure about your Germany today? Yes. Is this Don't trust us. As long as our economy is great, and as long as we made money, everything is very democratic. But let's wait and hopefully not see if we have five to ten years heavy economical problems and the swamp is a lake and is a sea and will swallow again everything. Under the banner of public health, in the 1930s, the Jews were separated from society. Typhoid is an endemic Jewish disease, the medical advisers pronounced. It's their fault. 
little by little, normalization, labeling, segregation, punishment, stoking anger. The church was largely silent, even promoting these evil schemes. There was a lesson to learn from the Holocaust. We're always reminded that. Never forget. We've learned our lesson. There's a lesson to be learned. It's like, okay, fair enough, man. What was the lesson? That's the question. What was the lesson? And the lesson is, you're the Nazi. That's the lesson. It's like, really? Really? Oh God, that's a terrible lesson. But I don't see another lesson. It's you. Well, no one wants to learn that. I mean, that's what I've been teaching my students since 1993. It's like, if you were there, that would have been you. You think, well, I'd be Oscar Schindler. I'd be rescuing the Jews. It's like, no, I'm afraid not. Yeah, You'd have... at least not be saying anything. Right. And you might also be actively participating. You might also enjoy it. You never know. Only by the grace of God do we not become Nazis. People say, well, then it was about race. Now it is about choice. And no one is putting anyone in gas chambers. Firstly, the weight of that statement depends on the perception of that choice. Secondly, you don't stop just before you get to the gas chambers. That's the point of lessons learned. You draw the line way before, which is why we have the Nuremberg Code and you stick to it. Thirdly, it wasn't just about race. There was a choice to protect the Jewish people. And if you were caught, you were killed. Fourthly, Bible prophecy warns us that the great tribulation will once again be about the Jewish people and there will be a choice to protect them, believers and unbelievers, and a choice whether to receive the mark of the beast, both a people group and a choice. You're being overly dramatic, they say. Is it dramatic to be stripped of your career? Dramatic to be forced out of business and lose your home? I've spoken with people who have lost their homes because of lockdown. Is it dramatic to die of the vaccines? I'm quite sure the drama queens are the mask, the lockdown, the vax pushes. They said that, that Bonhoeffer, they said that, that Bonhoeffer was being dramatic. He's dramatic. He was an alarmist, they said. He was one of the few that paid with his life. He was executed in a concentration camp. Did he make a choice? There is a lack of discernment. Why are we not calling evil evil? Scared to offend? A year ago, some of us were warning that it won't just be one vaccine or two, but boosters and the rest, and social credit scores. And now I see Christians going for boosters. We told you. And it's not a case of we told you so, it's a case of wake with me. Don't remain sleepy. A tiny minority of the church has been consistently correct when it comes to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. It might be worth hearing them out. Look at this tweet by Deborah Meaden. She asks, would you prefer vaccine passports or lockdown? Neither being necessary. Some of us were warning at least 15 months ago that these very false dichotomies would be presented to the public. Warning proves correct. 
And yet people, they love the delusion. We are not to play God with our bodies. In 1973, a healthy baby girl was ripped from her mother's womb for the purposes of scientific study. And since then, the cells of this baby girl have been cultivated in laboratories around the world. The cell line of this girl are used in the manufacturing process of these vaccines for testing purposes. The Oxford, AstraZeneca, the Pfizer and Moderna and others all use cell line HEK293 during the research and development phase. HEK stands for human embryonic kidney. They took the kidney of the baby girl. But God sometimes uses evil for good purposes, you say. Oh, he will bring an Assyrian army against Israel. But woe to you who have anything to do with the Assyrian army. What would God say to the owners of these factories? Probably something like burn them down and salt the earth where they stood and repent and get on your knees before me. The big pharma gospel, the big pharma gospel is this. A baby girl must die in order that you may be saved. My friend Jonathan Weisman raised my awareness of what is known as original antigenic sin. Original antigenic sin. And I'm sure you've heard of the doctrine of original sin. And yes, this immunological labelling is a biblical reference. Original antigenic sin means that a child's first exposure to the flu virus strongly characterises all subsequent immune response to the virus, irrespective of subsequent natural infections or vaccines. What will then happen if we inject young babes with these experimental vaccines? God forgive us. Trust the science or trust God. Well, God uses science. Well, he may do. Was God working through the scientists at Auschwitz? Where is the discernment of good and evil. Are these vaccines the mark of the beast? No, it's impossible. Uh, are these mandatory vaccine passport systems preparing the way? Very possibly. It cannot be the mark, and here's why. It must include all of the following. Is it required to buy or sell? Does it have the number of the Antichrist associated with it? Is that number 666 or, or 616? Is it located on their right hand and forehead? Was it ordered by the false prophet who calls down fire from heaven? So you see where this is going. There has to be some form of covenant with Israel, some form of new temple built on the Temple Mount, the sacrifices restarted, the abomination of desolation, and the mark is given after the midpoint of the final seven years. It is the time when the Antichrist is revealed, who conquers armies and sits in the place of God. And then the worst persecution of history unfolds. Until then, it cannot be the mark. Now, what we can say is that the technology and the enforcing of this current system could be paving the way and the ripple effects of the persecution out from Jerusalem extend further than I first thought. 
Now, some may say, why would Israel have anything to do with a system that could, that could mean their demise? Well, we're warned in the scriptures that Israel will be deceived and make a covenant and so forth. Is this the beast empire? I believe the beast is Middle Eastern. Um, it will comprise of the nations that surround Israel. President Erdogan, for example, is planning to resurrect the revived Ottoman Empire. We recognize the biblical narrative is Middle Eastern focused. And at the same time, the scroll does not unfold within a vacuum, right? As intercessors of our own Gentile nations, we should be watching how the ripple effect will occur and how, if at all, we can steer our nations to good. Could Mystery Babylon be in the Middle East or a global organization with a HQ in Europe? We continue to watch and listen to the Holy Spirit. We must obey God over government. Generally, we are to obey government who are appointed as God's servant for your good. But when they become a terror to good conduct, we must obey God over government. I've never been on a protest march in my life. I'm just not one of those activists. But when government is oppressing a people, we must push back. We are not to live by lies. This book, Live Not By Lives by Rod Dreher is worth a read, by the way. To love your neighbor is to not live by lies and perpetuate the deception for the health of society, for the health of the nation. Is wearing a mask perpetuating the lie? My conscience tells me that it is. And therefore, for me personally, to wear one would be to bear false witness. The parents of Moses disobeyed by hiding him. The Egyptian midwives disobeyed. Daniel openly disobeyed. The Magi did not obey King Herod. Paul escapes authorities and appealed to Caesar. The apostles were charged not to teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Authority is not limitless. When man's laws directly contradict God's law, we have a duty to disobey. Pseudoscience is becoming the God. Trust the science, believe in the science. No, I will trust in the unchanging word of my Lord and Saviour. What of nationalism? Some will then say, what do the nations matter? Isn't nationalism a bad thing? Well, a type of nationalism that seeks to elevate themselves above others with a sense of superiority, which inevitably leads to the desire to dominate and control other nations, is for sure evil. But there is a virtue of nationalism. In fact, I've been recommended a book, The Virtue of Nationalism. And from what I've read so far, I would recommend it too. There is a virtue of nationalism. We contend for our families, our neighborhoods, our cities, our nations. And at the same time, we rejoice when we partake in the sufferings of Christ. These two are not opposed. I contend that some form of my nation will exist in the age to come. The Bible describes nations existing in the age to come. Call me a patriot, a nationalist, whatever. I love my nation in spite of its foolishness.
Some are born to intercede for the corporate standing before the Lord. And my desire is that we will be declared a sheep nation by Messiah. God's plan is to bless all nations through one nation. Israel is the vehicle through which all will be blessed when its king returns. The devil, therefore, is pushing for a reversal of the judgment at Babel to erase nations so that God's plan falls flat. The 2030 agenda or the 2023 agenda by the UN is evil. Globalism is in direct opposition to God's established boundaries at Babel. He's the one who determines allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, as it says in Acts 17. The globalist agenda is against national sovereignty, to throw out God's law and promote immorality. It's not about glorifying God, but elevation of themselves. They rage and plot against the Lord. Psalm 2 invites us to see the movements of the nations as the Lord does. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. They plot in vain. Nothing will stop the installment of the coming king. God's great mercy and grace has been on display. In this time of testing, he has given two years for all to check their hearts and he's exposed who is who up until this point. He has revealed who is brave or a coward, who is blind or unblind, who is an authoritarian or a libertarian. And this isn't politics, it's the character of people. Who is a paid hand and who is in the hand of God, who love their lives, who love death, who are those who are eagerly waiting for him and for the life to come and everything in between. He has exposed corruption to open the eyes of unbelievers so that the believers could see better. I used to wonder, how will they not see? How will they not see that it's the Antichrist or that it's the mark of the beast? And now I wonder less. The people that are blind now are more likely to be blind then. I think I personally know unbelievers who are awakened and dismayed at what is happening, who will give their lives to Christ or give their lives for those who belong to Christ and, and be given the chance to enter the millennial kingdom. It's an eye-opening time. It is a time for the church to wake. Wake with me. What can we do? Well, firstly, prayer. Prayer is our most powerful means, including imprecatory prayer. I particularly like David's Psalm 109. We are to pray for our leaders, pray for the devil's schemes to be dismantled and banished from this land, pray for repentance, for angelic protection, for eyes to be opened of believers and unbelievers. Pour out your heart to God as the Psalms do. Secondly, repentance. We failed the test. Great judgment awaits our nation and the church if we do not turn. Now we have more to repent of. Not just the mess that we made before 2020, but now to repent of allowing evil restrictions on our worship. 
Any church that requires a health pass is not a church. We must strongly rebuke the government and call them to repentance. How will they know it's evil if we don't tell them? How will they repent if we don't rebuke them? God could have spoken directly to the heart of the king of Nineveh, but he uses men if reluctant. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Thirdly, preparation. We can prepare practically, but preparation of hearts for what is to come is of utmost importance. Prepare mentally that things like the NHS, they may no longer be there for us. They could count Christians as mentally ill. What would they do with children? The precise detail of what is heading to each one of us is impossible to know. And perhaps that's the point. We have to trust in our Lord and Saviour. And of all the books and research, the greatest tool, the greatest tool is the Bible. Keep this the closest. Read this the most. Cherish this the most. Fourthly is the, the practical aspect. God does not reward passivity. There are practical things which could include writing to your MP, peaceful protest where you could share the gospel also, turn off your TV, <laughs> right? Highlight what is going on on social media? You know, I, I know I've probably annoyed my, my Twitter followers, the few that I have, by you know, retweeting and, and, and liking a million things. Number five, push back. We must push back. We challenge culture and government, government, not because we expect to win long term. I know full well in this age it's a lost battle to the spiritual powers and principalities, nor that we seek war, but because we seek peace and pursue it as ambassadors for Christ, testifying about him who will establish peace. The open slave trade, it ended, why? Because Christians interceded. The church needs to grow a backbone. Does the church have an obsession with appearance? You know, flashy church is, is often the poster boy of criticism. But what a subtle underlying obsession with appearing sensible and emotion free and scientifically and academically credible. There is narcissism and then there is cowardice and both can be concerned with outer appearance. The feminization of the church has weakened her. Some will go too far, but most will not go far enough. I prefer the sloppy words of courage than sophisticated cowardice, raw valour over eloquent passivity and self-serving cowardice any day. You know, one wise church leader asked if anyone was prepared to debate and discuss the government restrictions. A reasonable suggestion, I thought. Another leader in response scoffed calling it divisive. Well, who is it that caused divisions in the church? In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit, not those who contend for the faith. Finally, we must wake. We are desperately sick. This is the time for the church to wake, to sober up, 
publicly vomit, corporately repent, stand firm and shine. Wake with me and cry Maranatha. And when we cry Maranatha, we're calling for justice to come quickly in the form of our Lord, to save us and to pour out his wrath upon the wicked. Maranatha.